Are you are you excited for the RC? I am. I am not totally sure what our plan is yet for driving down. I had originally made plans to just drive down with Chris like noon on Friday, but now Collins has kind of wanted to drive down Thursday and get the Airbnb extended. And I kind of would like a chill day in between because, you know, it was like a six hour drive. So I wouldn't mind a day to go like hang out, check out DreamHack, like get some footage and stuff for potentially a video or something and then not have to go straight from like driving to sleep to playing in the rc so so you're playing on thursday if i can make it work we'll see can chris make it work though i don't know i don't want to leave chris driving on his own lonely all the way to atlanta yeah i don't want to make that happen but i'm sure that other people are going down on friday so i i'm sure that like something can get figured out and also you know i mean i would like to give myself the best chance to win this regionals which I realized today, as I was thinking about it, I was like, why didn't I, you know, think about the option of flying down earlier? And it's certainly too late now, but, like, I probably should have just flown. If you wanted a rest day and not have to take Thursday, that would be probably the best option. It's just the, like, now that I'm here and thinking about it and, like, medium dreading, like, six-hour drive there, six-hour drive back, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's not fun. Well, flying sucks. Flying does suck, so it's bad either way. I haven't flown since COVID, so mm. I imagine it's even worse <laughs> now. Yeah, I don't think I have either. I'm trying to remember any flights that I've taken, but I have had the same job the entire time, and Magic tournaments got canceled, so I just have not done any flying at all. But I mean, the drive will be fun, even if it's just you and Collins. I'm just not totally sure I can make it work, and I don't want to abandon Chris, so hopefully we can make something work. Yeah. But I don't have anything new with me. New Flesh and Blood stuff came out. I got some cards. What's funny is that there's a card called Surgical Extraction in the set that is spiking in price because people think it's really good. To be fair, Surgical Extraction in Magic is really good. It's just that People think it's good when it's not. Yeah. So Surgical Extraction and Flesh and Blood is also really good. <laughs> but a good card, but right. it is not. That people over-apply. Yeah. It's even easier in Flesh and Blood because you literally can't play it in every deck. Like, come on. everyone welcome to episode 269 of the mtg grindcast the spikiest podcast in all of central north carolina we are your hosts i'm chris castor apple with me is lee mcleod hey lee why hello there chris so today on the podcast yeah i guess we already i i mean how are you etc etc oh yeah i'm doing great you doing good yeah i'm still doing good okay we we went over this before (laughs) today on the podcast Uh, We're pretty much just going to talk about Pioneer. Regional Championship is right around the corner, making only last-minute changes to decks now, or big changes to decks. Brothers War just came out on Magic Online, like, five hours ago. So, maybe there's time to come up with something. Uh, But for this episode, really wanted to focus in hard on Pioneer. This is our last, for, you know, the immediate future, our last shamelessly stolen from Dominaria's Judgment segment on pioneer deck list from this past weekend and then we're just going to kind of go into the format at large possible deck choices for the weekend ones that i I think are good ones that i think are not so good the sort of structure of the metagame as it stands now and what will serve you well and then some card choices and thoughts about the impact of open deck lists on the tournament and your you know deck and card choice decisions uh, but, you know, first, we got to just look at the, the list from this past weekend. Yeah, the list from this weekend are also wild because you go to the the metagame is like kind of expected, but then you go to the winners and it's just like, OK, all right. Yeah, I mean, honestly, a bunch of like kind of crazy stuff happened this weekend that is important to understand, acknowledge and adapt to however you can. We've got the two challenges. We have the SEG. I, I really only like counted the main event here. I didn't 
grab the results from the Pioneer 5K at Star City because those results are skewed by being like heavily entrants who did not make day two of the main event and et cetera, et cetera. So I, I don't want to put a ton of stock into those results for our like relatively serious dive into the metagame. But we do have two challenges. We do have the Star City Games main event. I mean, the big story from the challenges here is like this was just Phoenix's weekend. It was mm -hmm. a quarter of each of the top 32s, multiple copies in the top eights became really the top deck of the format this weekend. Yeah, it's kind of been trending that way too, which mm -hmm. is nice. Like Rectus Midrange has fallen off precipitously since, you know, earlier this year when we've been covering these tournaments where it was, you know, mm -hmm. seven, eight of the top 32 yep. consistently. It's just not there anymore. It's just not at those levels. So Phoenix is, gets to rise from the ashes. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, that's kind of the biggest, maybe the only real contributor to like, oh yeah, Phoenix is good. Once Rakdos starts disappearing, you beat most other stuff. Before we go too deep into Phoenix, I think the reason Rakdos is disappearing is just because every other deck just got better against it. It's just like not as good mm -hmm. raw card quality as it used to be, which is why you can't see, or you're not seeing cycles where all right, Phoenix is huge. We're just going to play a bunch of Rakdos. That's, it's just not at a place where you want to play Rakdos. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of it is that it's a little easier to build new decks and to modify decks in a way that it's like, yes, I'm going a little bit bigger than Rakdos. I'm playing a bigger mid-range game. It's a little bit harder to be like, okay, I'm just adjusting my deck to be better against mono green. The only way of doing that is by being something hyper aggressive or being mono blue spirits and killing them while not letting their spells that matter resolve. It's easier to just like play a bunch of Asika's chariots and sky sovereigns. And then that gives you a pretty decent matchup against Rakdos. Once enough people are doing that, Rakdos starts falling from grace a little bit. And, you know, we're seeing those results. It's still fine. Saturday, four copies in the top 32 and none in the top eight. Sunday, one copy in the top eight and three copies in the top 32. Like these aren't this, these aren't results that say it's a bad deck, but these are very different from a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's a deck you should absolutely be prepared to play against it because you will play against it in the RC. That's just like not even a question. It's just if you were planning on playing it, you really have to make sure you are prepared with how the metagame has been shifting. Yeah, and this is a trend that's been playing out for a while. Even a couple of weeks ago, when we were sitting down doing some paper testing, I mean, really just practicing, really just shuffling cards again, more than anything else. But we kind of like pulled the room about like options and nobody was considering Rakdos for regionals at that point. Uh, it just has kind of felt a little bit worse and a little bit worse. And I don't think it's a terrible choice for regionals, but it's not the the god slayer that it used to be it's it's not no bad matchups misplaced gender winning every single challenge and everyone copying his deck list and it, it's just not there anymore yeah i mean ginger might still like you know oh ginger's still gonna play it <laughs> yeah, he's still definitely gonna play it and he's still gonna beat a lot of people because he's just like got the reps and is better at playing magic than most of the people he'll play against misplaced ginger can play in two regional championships i believe because canada has two of them yep and you can qualify for both of them yep so you can show us up and just win, win both two of them. regionals, sure. Yeah. But yeah, so that that is the kind of like seesaw effect as Rakdos sort of disappears from the metagame a little bit. Phoenix just gets the opportunity to rise up here and do a lot of damage, beat up on the mid-range decks that are a little bit bigger than Rakdos, but don't have the focused graveyard trespasser plus Thoughtseize plus Fatal Push plus Shieldred like package of cards that are just tuned to destroy Phoenix, especially game one. And then once Phoenix rises up, that actually is not great for Monogreen. We see Monogreen having even worse showings in these tournaments, you know, one top eight out of the two challenges and two entries into one top 32, two entries into the other top 32. You know, this is a deck that a week or two ago, it's just like, yeah, this is clearly the best deck by a lot. It crushes everything and just is getting even better with Brothers War, which obviously these results don't reflect. But to see it have this happen to it is pretty unexpected. Part of it, you know, Phoenix is a little bit 
advantage against mono green but not by a ton it's like a 53 47 matchup or something yeah. like that it's it's <laughs> the the die roll is a lot has a lot of effect yeah and then you lose the die roll and you're like oh god oh this is like exactly even or i'm behind by two points or whatever yeah but things shifting like that rakdos disappearing and then other decks that you know can target green a little bit more showing up and phoenix just you know there's a lot of decks that green just like beats the crap out of. And if a lot of those decks go away and get replaced by decks that are around 50% or a little better than 50% against mono green, enough of those show up. And then mono green starts to struggle a little bit. Also, you know, we're several months into this format now and people I think have finally started to really figure out how to play against mono green. Yeah. At least for now, like the, the brother's worst cards are quite impactful, which I think will kind of just necessitate necessitate a rise in mono green just because people want to play with new cards mm-hmm. like that's something that always happens even if it doesn't end up being good and i think mono green just ends up being better with all those new artifacts too yeah for sure and i think specifically the play pattern of like karn minus get cityscape leveler past the turn you can do whatever you want but i'm casting this cityscape leveler on my turn and then it's going to outvalue you is a, a completely new play pattern that really messes up a lot of the I'm going to kind of play fair magic by answering all of Green's stuff strategy. Like Cityscape Leveler just really puts a puts a bullet in that plan. It, it's just so much value and it's really hard to overcome on a fair game axis. It as really if you could, is. couldn't already be Mono Green on that level. Yeah, I mean, it was already kind of tough, but people had figured out kind of like the combinations of cards that were effective against Green at doing that. And I think that becomes a lot harder with the existence of cityscape leveler and one of the things that i just kind of to jump ahead to the scg Mm -hmm. uh, because the finals of this was lotus field versus phoenix i think this the way that scg listed is the wrong order i think gruel actually won this tournament okay that makes sense yeah i the point i made wasn't really like lotus field winning the tournament which is what uh goldfish has it's more that lotus field being in the top eight and in contention is interesting because it's a deck that's not very good against the previous field but because people are playing more phoenix and more of these you know gruel abzan grease fang celestia angels even Mm -hmm. uh just like decks that don't pressure lotus field on the kind of axis that it needs to just get crippled like monogreen does with karn damping sphere yep uh you you have a format where because monogreen suppressed a little bit or at least a little unpopular other decks are kind of cycling in and you actually get a more metagame shift right which is neat yeah green was a very bad matchup for lotus field because both like green could goldfish faster sometimes uh, and you know put a lot of power into play and put you under serious pressure and also that karn damping sphere line to slow things down really badly uh i think it was an atrocious matchup for lotus field uh but as soon as green becomes a little less played then yeah Decks like that come out to play, and we get a whole new axis of the format to operate on. And Lotus Field did really well this weekend across, like, several tournaments. Yeah, it had, what, five decks in the top 32 on Sunday, Mm -hmm. uh, two of those in the top eight, and then two more in the top eight on Saturday. Yep. Good stuff, like, kind of brand new. And yeah, I think that several of the decks that are you know like good against Rakdos the same way that like Phoenix is good against those decks Lotus Field is very good against those decks the Phoenix Lotus Field matchup is a little weird it's very much like Phoenix is trying to combo out as well you're kind of goldfishing to your kill turn and Phoenix has its time stretch turn post board Phoenix has a lot of counter magic and can play this Delvery game plan uh, so I don't know exactly like what the percentage in that matchup is but I I have beaten and have lost to Lotus Field with Phoenix. To me, at least from like a metagame health perspective, it's less about like what decks are good and the percentage points of the Lotus Field stuff. That's more something I'd more be focused on when I was trying to play Lotus Field. Mm-hmm. I just like the type of deck Lotus Field is in the field as a sort of check mm-hmm. uh, with its own weaknesses and strengths as opposed to something like Mono Green, which is a lot more <laughs> lumped <laughs> It's a lot stronger. It's a lot. It's just a generically stronger deck. Yeah, has a lot fewer weaknesses, uh, so it's harder to combat. Mm-hmm. I just like seeing Lotus Field being able to cycle into that because you can then adapt again and keep going and forth, back sure. and forth. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. 
you know, those are the, the broad metagame trends. Phoenix, really ascendant. And unfortunately for me, a Phoenix gamer, this kind of happened like one weekend too early and makes me slightly nervous that adjustments will be made going into regionals. Uh, we'll talk about that a little more in the regionals section of the podcast. But Phoenix Ascendant, Rakdos and Mono Green really like getting pushed back a little bit. Lotus Field doing well. Mono White Humans also doing well, generally doing extremely well at Star City and uh, okay in the challenges. And then Gruel making some good showings, winning the Star City tournament. Uh, and I think the list from the Star City main event, the Gruel list is very clean. Uh, I had some problems with the heavy polarization of just the completely adventure three drop based value-ish gruel deck and i think that this build that leans heavily into reckless storm seekers to give you just this like faster goldfish turn with some of your hands and also it's very it's a very nice synergy with the vehicles where you can give them haste and crew them and uh, i think that that all makes a lot of sense uh, we have confirmed from Collins that combat celebrant is not good. So even the <laughs> all in version that cuts all of the adventure creatures in order to run like a bunch of combat celebrants and reckless storm seekers is probably not, not the way to go. But this list that won the SEG is pretty decent. Yeah. I, I buy that. I, I like reckless storm seeker, mm -hmm. especially the synergy with the Seekers chariot. I think we called that out during spoiler season because the Seekers chariot was just the best thing at the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's it's nice to see it reflected even in Pioneer. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that just ups the speed of the deck in a way that corrects a lot of the matchups that are really hard. It gives you back some percentage points in those ones. Some weirdo decks that showed up in case you want to be spicy this weekend. Uh, Simic Emerge in the Saturday Challenge exists. This was in, I think, like 24th place. 25th place. Tulio Jotty yes. and MTGO Grinder. Yeah. So Tulio playing it is, you know, there's there's some thought put behind this deck. Elder Deep Fiend is a powerful card. I, you know, I think this is really cool, but tough to lean into this like collected company malevolent herm boy there's a lot going on in this deck there's a fierce there, there empath really in there yeah that's a, a three drop one one the tutors for cards that cost six or more so in this case elder deep fiend uh because it says it's an emerge deck big air quotes there uh the only emerge card is elder deep fiend that's the, that's only, the only one ever good emerge card yeah like, yeah exactly like, yeah, I wanted to find this deck in the deck list dump after you told me there was one, and I just control left Elder Deep Fiend, and I found it instantly, because well, it's the only one you would play. Yes, correct. There's no Sanctum of Ugin. Is that the one that tutors colorless creatures? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no, There's none of those in this deck list. It's kind of just a blue-green mid-range deck with, like, Augur of Autumn and Quirion Beast Caller, uh, an Aether Channeler, and then you just use your kind of sacrificial fodder creatures to elder deep feed them tempo them out of the game like it's a pretty played straight deck you're not trying to like chain elder deep fiends to lock them out or anything right. you're just tempo you're just straight up tempoing them out yeah that's neat uh i you know this is not one that i will be putting time into this week to see if it's good although I, you know i do have my elder deep fiends hanging around somewhere here but uh, i think this deck looks more fun than good yeah like it it doesn't really have that much I don't want to say it doesn't have that much gameplay to it because that's not what I mean. But it doesn't. I guess it doesn't have much flexibility to it. You you don't get to interact with your opponents in right. that you're, wide of an access. You're playing bodies and you're playing collected companies, and then you're just hoping that like Elder Deep Fiend allows your bodies to cross the finish line, which like that yeah, card does, basically. but probably not the most reliable deck in the world. The Sunday challenge was won by Angels. And we saw Angels also do well at the NRG, I believe, last week. Are you sure this one wasn't won by Rakdos? Man, I can't. Yeah, you're right. It was not won by. I really wish they would fix this shit. Like every. Yeah. Like multiple different sites now are not putting the winner in the first place slot. And it's really obnoxious. Star City and the, the Watsi results. Ever since Magic Online changed hands, we just. Everyone wins every event. It's very confusing. All right. Uh, it did top eight. It did top eight. Lost in the quarters. Also showed up in the NRG event, I believe, and in another place or two. Angels, we, you know, we played with it a little bit. It's a 
it's not as bad as you would think. It's not quite as heavy on threes to make it just like super clunky. It has good cards in it. Before you go off, I want to guess how good it is because mm-hmm. my read of Zangelic like, is kind of <laughs> what I thought ever since I saw Giada yeah. be spoiled. It's just like if you have Giada, your deck is good. And if you don't, it's really clunky. Yeah, I mean, is, am I off base? So that's not not true, but also you don't rely on it as much because you are a collected company deck and Giada does die to all of the removal in the format, including yeah, all of the course. one mana removal in the format. She gets fatal push, she gets stomped, she gets killed by every removal spell out of Phoenix. You're not relying on her in this deck because you do have other options. It's actually Youthful Valkyrie is a great two drop because it does not die to stomp is a pretty mm-hmm. key part of this deck. And when you are thinking about Stomp, when your like Rakdos opponent passes on turn two, then you play your Youthful Valkyrie, you don't play your Giada. So I've certainly stomped a Youthful Valkyrie before by accident <laughs> because I just always shortcut to thinking it's a 2-1 because of Youthful Knight. Uh, it's a, a one-white different, white creature. <laughs> different cards. Yeah, they definitely are. Youthful Valkyrie sort of like a poor man's Ledger Shredder in this deck. Well, a holy man's Ledger Shredder. Yes, that one. But, you know, it's a lot of flying creatures. You gain a lot of life. Your creatures get really big. And so at some point they're like immune to all the red removal. And so there's like some decent stuff going on here. But I just don't have a... I'm not interested in playing this deck really. It's like pretty good against mono green. It's like okay against phoenix because you can outsize the removal at some point but also sometimes they just keep killing your guys in treasure crews because you're just a clunky creature deck so i don't actually know how that matchup is i would rather play the emerge deck if i were to play one of these (laughs) collected company decks because at least elder deep fiend is fun like that card's really fun but you can absolutely win a lot of games with the angels deck like that is very possible and control decks bigger decks are tough because you're just playing dudes and hoping that they like enough of them stick to give you a lot of power and toughness yeah or that your collection company puts like gets good hits and puts them in a rough spot right exactly so it it's fine it's fun if, if that's your thing there's also an elves deck in in the top eight of the scg event this is a much better elves list than some of them that we've seen just very focused on making bodies getting shaman of the pack in play four court of calling and four collected company to help you do that uh, if you love Shaman of the Packing People, this is the deck to do it with. There are also 12 mana dorks in this deck. Yep. Uh, the other four are Jaspara Sentinel, yeah. which of course, really good after you're putting Dwayne Dwayne's Elite Novish Warmaster in your deck. Yes, this whole deck is dedicated towards just dumping all of the elves in your hand into play as quickly as possible, giving them some power and toughness, dealing some amount of damage, and then getting probably like two shamans of the pack into play in most games over time yeah. and when you when you stall out you can cord or collect a company for good cards yeah and if you're drawing like mana elves when you need to draw literally anything else if you have a leaf crown visionary you can cycle them yeah so it's, it's not it's not that bad no this is a deck that knows what it's about and if your opponent is interacting with you improperly here then you'll win yeah, and if they have sweltering zones in your sideboard, it's rough. It's tough. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about Phoenix sideboard options and other, you know, considerations. I would recommend if you're playing Phoenix in regionals, playing two sweltering suns in your sideboard. Not because of elves, but because it's just really, really good and fits with the philosophy of the deck. And I wouldn't not have two in my sideboard. Yeah, I agree with that. Anything else catch your eyes from the three tournaments this weekend? Again, not Brothers Legal yet. Right, so that is definitely a consideration to take in, is that this is not the metagame that will show up this weekend because a new set is legal. But it is an eternal format. There's only so much that a new set can do, especially with the very minimal amount of time we've had to work with it. So it is good information. And to kind of like transition into our regionals discussion, the amount of phoenix that has shown up and the way that it kind of like crested over the top this weekend that does give me some pause as someone who is like almost certainly going to register phoenix at regionals i it feels like it happened a week too early in some ways it's a little bit validating because it's like yes i had picked out the right deck that you know i picked it last week i was just like yeah this is just going to be the one that i play and i was sure that it was better in the format than other people thought and put the work in and really understand how to play it and pioneer 
and now everybody knows that and <laughs> will probably show up at least a little bit more ready. Uh, on the bright side, a lot of players don't understand how to beat Phoenix. I will give listeners a little bit of a breakdown of what's going on here. Phoenix is not a graveyard deck. Phoenix is a control deck. Phoenix has never been a graveyard deck. No, but at least when you were playing against it in modern, cutting off the ability to get those fast Phoenix starts could be the right philosophy for some decks because if you could beat those fast Phoenix starts, then your cards were good against the rest of the deck. And so like a rest in peace would be very good in your strategy against them. Not the rest in peace is bad against Phoenix in Pioneer, but the important thing to understand is that Phoenix is not a tempo deck. It is a control deck. It's the best control deck in the format. It plays card advantage and removal spells, and it has a win condition that just so happens to come back from the graveyard. Also, its best card drawing card uses the graveyard. So depending on your strategy, hating on the graveyard can work. Playing humans and sideboarding in rest in pieces, I don't think works against Phoenix because that hasn't been functional against me playing Phoenix. Especially since you're playing eight on Phoenix against that deck just to kill, to kill their creatures. And if they just play one less creature, you're pretty happy. Yeah, you're fine. You've gotten your card advantage from your like turned off treasure cruise almost. Like I'll just discard this to a ledger shredder now because now you have a rest in piece that isn't doing anything. And, and it's not strictly a one for one trade. Like you're not trading one treasure cruise for one creature they didn't play. It's also the turn and then mana they took off that yeah. gives you a chance to eat hold further ahead. Yep. You don't want to look at your cards in like a, a, a one by one basis. It's what they cost you. Yes. And casting a rest in peace and also having a non creature spell like that in your Thalia deck as well, it has a cost to it. Although, you know, the Phoenix deck is very invested in keeping your Thalias off the board. So, yeah, extremely invested. Look at those cantrips. Look at them go. It's, you know, I've been like confident that my opponent has an extraction specialist in hand and I've like killed the Thalia just so that I can get off a couple of cantrips in that turn cycle because it has to leave the board for at least a little bit for me to function. That That's one thing that helps me not feel so like under the gun about Phoenix right now. Uh, I think that a lot of people who set out knowing like, oh man, Phoenix is a real force in this metagame may not be doing the right thing in order to beat phoenix there's a reason all of the phoenix sideboards from people who are trying have multiple crackling drakes in their sideboard also one of the weird things about this tournament is that it is open deck list so when you sit down against your phoenix opponent they get to see if you have graveyard hate in your sideboard or if you don't and they get to adjust their sideboard accordingly and for decks that lean on the graveyard or decks that have plans that are commonly hated out, I think that's like a really big advantage that should influence your deck choice and your sideboard choices. Yeah, it, it matters a lot because it's not like you can do the dance with graveyard hate like you can with some other sideboard cards. Mm -hmm. If you have graveyard hate and your opponent just plays around it, you don't board it in, the deck, they can't board out all their graveyard stuff. It's yeah. just not going to do it. <laughs> So you just wasted sideboard slots. So you have to board them in. You're in some numbers. Your Phoenix opponent knows about it and mm -hmm. you just play around it. Yep. So I'm probably going to keep going back to thoughts about Phoenix because my plans for regionals and my thoughts about it are all kind of viewed through that lens. I've been playing a lot of that deck and trying to come up with my plans versus all of the decks that I expect to play against. So please forgive me if I keep going back to, like you know, that's where a lot of my knowledge of the format is right now. I mean, yeah, this is a regionals like kind of overview, but you're also playing in regionals and you're playing Phoenix and this is your podcast. So like <laughs> so I can do whatever I want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I do want to talk about like possible choices for this weekend. Just an overview of the decks in the format. As we were talking about earlier, Rakdos is just a deck that we all kind of independently stopped considering as a possibility for regionals like a couple of weeks ago and then over the course of the last couple of weeks it's just been less and less of a presence in the metagame as people have played better value decks and have uh, attacked the metagame on axes that Rakdos is not great against and it's just not done the best it is still a powerful deck and I expect to see it show up. I just wouldn't encourage you to play it. And I certainly wouldn't encourage you to pick it up and take it to the tournament unless you already have a lot of reps with it and feel comfortable with it and understand what your sideboard is supposed to be for this tournament. Like if you don't already feel great with Rakdos, 
play something else this weekend. Uh, yeah, and as a caveat to that, if you do feel great with Rakdos, just play it. Like, yeah. it's not that bad. Yep. I, <laughs> it's I a agree. perfectly reasonable choice with good cards in it. Like, if you, in your head, understand, like, when you want to bring more Shieldreds and when you want to bring more Kalidases and you don't even have to, like, think about that and you're, like, automatically making that adjustment, then you're fine. You're ready. Just play Rakdos at the tournament. Yeah, you're you're good to go. Yeah. Mono Green, I think has been a little bit artificially depressed in the recent results, especially on Magic Online, uh, by a couple of things. One, I think people are sick of playing the deck and just show up with it less because of that, especially with tournaments that don't count for all of that much. When Moto Grinders are showing up with Simic Emerge, you know, uh, (laughs) something else is going on. (laughs) People are a little bit bored and people are doing goofy stuff, which, you know, this is a game. That's the whole point. Yeah, you should have fun. Yes. But when stakes are really there, when there's something on the line, we've seen over and over again, green just show up and be like half the top eight. I think people are better at playing against mono green now. I don't think I don't expect that to happen at regionals, but I think that it'll still be a significant presence in the metagame. There was a point like a week or two ago where I was confident it would be like almost 20% of the metagame. I don't think that's going to be true anymore. I think it'll be somewhere between 10 and 15 now, but it's very good, and these recent results both reflect, I think, a boredom with the deck, and also just the Brothers War cards aren't available, and there's like three really good ones that go right in your sideboard and just make your deck better now. Yeah, I, as far as metagame percentages go, I actually think Phoenix will be the most represented deck. I think that's true now, yeah. Yeah, just just because Phoenix has a playstyle that a lot of people really love. Even if they're not that, you know, practiced or reasonable with it. <laughs> like, I I don't mean to be rude, but a lot of people just pick up decks like that just because they like the style and they <laughs> enjoy the cards and they know it's a good deck. Uh, you see it a lot with Murktide, even though that deck is also, just like Phoenix, a good deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, you definitely see people playing Murktide or Delver, just that should not be playing it. <laughs> It's, I mean, I, I find myself making mistakes all the time with Phoenix, and I think I'm pretty good at it, and I've played this type of deck a lot, but I still just, like, find myself in spots where I don't know what to do. I don't know what's the best, like, way to sequence my Ledger Shredders. and tri- Like, when you have four mana and you're trying to figure out how to sequence your Consider, your Ledger Shredder, and your Treasure Cruise in order to maybe leave up mana for something they could do on their turn and you have to make a land drop this turn and like it's hard it's really hard and i think it may be too late now to switch to phoenix i don't think you should switch to phoenix for this weekend because of the results and like oh yeah it looks like this deck is really good after all i think i'll switch to phoenix if you don't have the reps in with it yet play something you're more comfortable with because this deck is really hard and you will mess up sideboarding with it and make your deck worse against people if you don't know how to do this. As a caveat, uh, I, I don't recommend Audibling pretty much ever because mm-hmm. this is going to come out, what, like Thursday right. before the, the RC? By the time you're listening to this, it's, it's you know, you're late. probably driving down there or whatever. <laughs> don't don't Audible like the day before the RC. It's just not, not a thing. But if you have several decks that you're somewhat comfortable on and you're just deciding between them, mm-hmm. I think you could be reasonably confident. Like if Phoenix is in that one, you can just play that one. Yeah. Yeah. Just make sure you've gotten some number of games in before with the treasure cruise deck and you'll be all right. Yeah. We talked about gruel a little bit. I think gruel is an okay choice. Uh, I know Collins recently was really high on it. And I think that the list from, the Star City main event, I think it, it, that one is really good and patches up some of the stuff that I had problems with with the deck. Uh, if you just build it as like a pure mid-range deck that's just like elves, adventure creatures, vehicles, main deck of Crow and War, uh, there's just a lot of stuff that you lose to that way. You get outvalued really easily by people who don't care that much about Sky Sovereign. And especially if they don't care about Sky Sovereign or the Akron War and you're starting out with like an eight pack of those in your main deck, then you just have matchups that you're in trouble against. Uh, Playing Phoenix against those builds was just a joke. They just had infinite dead cards game one and then you'd figure something out game two and three that 
wasn't that hard because now you had a braids and they couldn't really do anything to get through your just wall of removal spells. So Gruul built that way as like a mid-range deck that is targeting Rakdos is not where you want to be at for this weekend. Gruul built a little more aggressively with stuff like Reckless Stormseeker, I think can have a decent place and you can get some wins with it. Yeah. Haste is a perennially underrated keyword. <laughs> it's really good. It, time is such an important factor and not like the clock time, but just tempo, I guess, if you want to use a nebulous term, to it's such like an important factor to the way games are played out. Mm-hmm. Like that's why play draw is so good. And haste and reckless storm seeker does flip that as long as it's boosting somewhat reasonable cards. And the girl cards are all good to do with it. Yeah, for sure. Makes you a lot more flexible than if you just had to play, you know, an Akroan War or whatever. Yes. Now, I do love casting an Akroan War against my opponents, like Blood Tithe Harvester. Like, it, it feels real oh, good yeah, when it lines great. up. But I don't think this tournament is going to be a main deck Akroan War tournament. Or if it is, not four of them. <laughs> yeah. It's very bad against any deck with islands in it. So just be aware of that. Lotus Field. Honestly, if you're a Lotus Field gamer, do what you do what you want. I did, it did great this weekend. I no longer have like serious criticisms about it, except that the mono green matchup is not good. And I don't if you're playing Lotus Field, you just know that. Though. Yeah, you do know that. Right. And you're just kind of taking that into account. I don't think green is going to be like such a huge presence a couple of weeks ago when I thought that green would be like 20 percent of the metagame. Then I would say, no, do not bring Lotus Field to this tournament. That's a terrible idea. Now, I'm not so sure. I think it could be just fine. Yeah, I have I have not also looked at any of the Brothers War cards to see if they fit there, uh, except for the knockoff on missions. That's only eight mana. So maybe there's something there. Yeah. Who knows? The enchantment decks, I am a little less enthused about for a couple of reasons. Number one. One of the reasons to play a Fires or Enigmatic Incarnation deck is that it like beats the crap out of Rakdos generally. And I don't I just don't know how much Rakdos is going to be at this tournament. And I don't think it's going to be a big enough portion of the metagame that you're really excited about it. Number two, these decks have been built specifically. A lot of the card choices are there to crush Rakdos and also like have a game plan against Mono Green. And once those two decks are no longer like the significant parts of the metagame, those two don't combine to be 25 or 30% of the metagame, then I think a lot of these lists might be misbuilt for this tournament in a way that's like really tough to fix in the meantime and figure out exactly what your choices are supposed to be. Now you're pulled between a lot of things that you need to address with your like enchantment package. Uh, I still think the decks can be pretty strong, but you also have a Haywire Might problem out of Mono Green that you may not have figured out yet. And I, I just, I'm kind of off the enchantments decks right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind being off the enchantments decks. That said, I do think they're like powerful enough that if, as long as you're building towards a field you expect to play against, uh, like maybe you put more cards in for Phoenix than you do for Rakdos and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I don't think it's a terrible, terrible choice to bring, but again, it's if I had another deck to play I was comfortable with, I would go for the other one. Yeah, and comfort is such a huge factor with these enchantment decks. The gap between playing against an enchantment player who knows what they're doing against me versus playing against a player who like doesn't really doesn't quite get like exactly the turn they should exile my graveyard exactly the turn they need to like get an archon into play exactly when they can try to cast uh enigmatic incarnation or when they have to go for it and just hope i don't have the spell you know there's a big skill gap and experience gap in this deck that i would encourage you to look into if you're thinking about playing this you know, Thursday, would you listen to this right before the RC? I'm going to try to get this out Wednesday <laughs> afternoon. I'm going to like see if I can rearrange my schedule a little bit to get this out quickly. Be sick at work one day. <sighs> I've got the podcast flu. <laughs> the the podcast pox. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, you've, you poxes are from animals, right? Mm. That implies that there's a podcast animal. Yeah, I guess that doesn't really work. But also the flu isn't from a podcast, so I don't I don't know how. Well, scientifically accurate so you know that i could catch a computer virus yeah yeah exactly 
I don't know why I listed these in this order. I would not suggest playing Grease Fang at this tournament. I think that the way that a lot of people will adjust to Phoenix being good this past weekend is to put an extra rest in peace or yeah, Leyline yeah, of the Void in their ahead. sideboard, which is okay against Phoenix and it's actively good against Grease Fang in a way that it's not quite as good against Phoenix. I don't encourage playing this deck. Humans, however, I think totally fine. Had at least one very good tournament this weekend and... Uh, I don't know exactly how you want to build it, but I think that it is pretty strong. I want you, if you're playing humans, to sit down with somebody who is decent at playing Phoenix and figure out your plan there and get that down pat. Because if you don't know how to sideboard properly or you don't know how to sequence your extraction specialists and protect the things that matter, if you mess up at all with humans against Phoenix, then you get bodied. And if you play well, then I think the matchup is not that terrible, but it is a really complicated matchup that requires a lot of experience. So I would encourage that if you're thinking of playing humans this weekend. I don't really have anything to add. Humans is its own deal. Yeah. I mean, if you're Thalia's lieutenant main, then continue being a Thalia's lieutenant main. Yeah, we couldn't talk you out of it if we tried. Nah. And I think the deck is fine. Like, you can win this tournament playing humans this weekend. Spirits, I think, is... To me, it just feels less good than humans right now. I, I don't know. I'm just not super on this deck at the moment. Bant Spirits is, like, okay, but I would rather be on Thalia as my disruption than on Spell Queller as my disruption, I guess. Let me ask you about a deck you did not list in this. Blue-White Control. Yeah, don't play Blue-White Control. Why not? I think your cards are worse than most people's. I do think your Phoenix matchup is pretty good as long as you understand how to approach it. I don't think that you're good against just random stuff because you have like a lot of Dovin's vetoes in your deck and things like that. And just people can play cards that you weren't expecting or just curve out with creatures and you don't have the right wrath. Uh, or you do Wrath and then they play a Seeker's Chariot and then that's not beatable for you. I think there's just too many ways that blue-white control goes wrong and we've seen that reflected just in results. People try it constantly in Pioneer and it makes a top 8 every so often, maybe wins a tournament once in a while, but just isn't a consistent presence because it's just not that good. I don't know if I agree. I, I think it's a little better than what you're giving it credit for, but I don't know if I would call it like a good deck that you should definitely consider playing against all all the time in Pioneer. Like I think it's there's some space for it to be reasonable, I but mean, I do agree with you mostly. Wandering Emperor is incredible. Teferi is a very good finisher. There's definitely stuff going for it, but I think it's really hard to address all of the threats of the metagame right now. I also think it is another deck that loses out on Rakdos not being a bigger part of the game because I think mm. Blue White's actually pretty good against Rakdos. Yeah, I haven't played that matchup enough to really know the percentages. I do know that Fable is pretty disgusting against no, Blue White. Fable is very good against him, <laughs> but the like the rest of the cards are just like dopey midrange stuff. Yeah, of course. I also don't really want to play this many rounds of blue white in a weekend but that's a personal problem so if you are yeah. a blue white mage then you know that doesn't affect you in the same way it would affect me if you look at castle vantress and you're you just get excited you, you'll know it, right you know <laughs> we just have different different souls that's all i haven't identified yet any new decks that might show up from brothers war the only thing immediately like if I were just to start brewing right now, the things that I would be excited about are either an artifact deck with third path iconoclast and the new Sahili, but I haven't quite like put together a pile of cards that makes sense to me given the context, the constraints that this metagame puts you under. Uh, you need to be either like a very good controlling deck with really good answers for stuff, which is tough to do when you have these like artifact threats in your deck, or you need to be an aggressive enough deck that you can like kill mono green with one disruptive spell backing you up to stop them from cavaliering you and i don't think that these artifact cards really make a lot of sense for that maybe if we had galvanic blast but i don't think that shrapnel blast on its own is enough for me to build a deck that i i'm really attracted to there may be an upgraded artifacty sacrifice deck i think that misha's research desk is a really good card that's very very good with anvil and some of the other just like black red sacrifice cards but 
uh, that side of the Pioneer metagame is not one that I've spent a ton of time on, so I'm not prepared to put together a deck like that for, for regionals. I also kind of worry how much Mistress Wishuk's deck desk adds to a deck that already is playing like cards like Experimental Synthesizer. Sure. Because like, how many of that effect do you really want? If you want that effect, I think you want a lot of it. But I get what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, but I mean, the the research deck does not work when you sacrifice it to like an only cold anvil. Right. But the the synthesizer does. You have to like, all right, four synthesizers first, and then how many emissions research desks mm-hmm. do I want? And that's just like a, a matter of how much fodder do I need? Well, I think it's also like, am I triggering third path iconoclasts with this? Like what, I mean, what does my mana base look like for that? <laughs> you know, yeah, really? like, are we getting some something else out of casting artifacts Are you know, are we doing like paradoxical outcome or something? Who knows? There's not enough time to to build and refine this before the weekend, though. Yeah, this is a this is a tabled project for now. Correct. And so I haven't really identified new decks that are going to show up, and I wouldn't worry about them because even if there is a fantastic deck, it's just you're just not going to play against it. You know, there, there there'll be a, a handful of people in the room on it, and you just don't need to worry about them because we haven't found out about it yet on a large scale. Yeah, keep in mind that there are a ton of modern events after Throne of Eldrin released where people were playing Paradoxical Outcome with Okos in the sideboard. And it took like three weeks for people to realize, oh, we should just like throw these Okos in the main deck and just make our whole deck the Oko deck. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the the Oko Urza midrange deck just like took forever for to get figured out and it eventually you know zan won regionals with it and then it became the unbeatable the tier zero deck in the metagame like cart it's hard to put new cards together this quickly and that's with oko like a, right one of the best cards of all time right and i don't think we got any of those in this set yeah we did not get any okos or underworld breaches or Uros. I, I checked they're not there <laughs> Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the impact of open deck lists on things. I think this needs to be just sort of a thing you're thinking about both uh, for your deck choice and for the choices of individual cards. You want to think about what do you gain by knowing what deck your opponent is on game one? Does that influence your mulliganing decisions? Does that help you make better very early decisions like that and then how does knowing your opponent's sideboard cards help you and then also how does your opponent benefit from these things so for example you know i'm just going to go back to phoenix because i've been thinking about these things with regards to phoenix i think you gain a lot with a deck like phoenix by knowing what deck your opponent is on game one you know the value of a spell pierce in your hand you know the value of one mana removal in your hand you know how good ledger shredder is all of these cards have really variable values in different matchups and mulliganing accordingly is really helpful that's really helpful information for a deck like phoenix for a deck like mono green your cards are like elves become different value depending on how much one mana removal your opponent has so that is helpful but other than that, a lot of times, like you're just trying to put together lands, spells, lands and spells on a curve. And this is a deck that doesn't even sideboard. Right. So <laughs> your value of information gained is going to be pretty low compared to your competition. Right. And now how much does your opponent knowing your deck help them? Well, on mono green, they can know the value of their one mana removal, you know, uh, although a lot of mono green wins and losses are really determined just by who won the die roll and how good was mono green's draw but them knowing that their one mana removal in their opening hand is good against you is an important factor them just like kind of knowing which of their reactive cards are good and are not good and they can mulligan hands that just lose to mono green with a deck like phoenix they probably don't have graveyard hate main deck unless they are rakdos i think open deck lists hurts your like makes your bad matchups even worse sometimes especially when they're based on individual cards uh sometimes you can punk out a rakdos player game one because they kept like you know cheap removal and a bone crusher giant and some non-shielded threat and their cards are just regular magic cards against you 
but they know to mulligan those cards against Phoenix because they have so many good cards in their deck. They just want a hand with a graveyard trespasser in it with enough lands to cast a shield or it eventually, you know, when there are cards that are like haymakers in matchups, then knowing your opponent's deck game one becomes a way bigger deal. So I don't know exactly how that adjusts any particular deck choice. Overall, looking at different matchups and kind of the amount that Phoenix mulligans and the variable value of cards and knowing what to bottom, you know, I'm pretty happy playing Phoenix, knowing that my opponent knows what I'm on and me knowing what they're on. I feel like I get a slightly bigger advantage than my opponent does. And I think that should be factored into your what is the what is my overall win percentage with this deck? Because it's going to change at least a little bit how how good your deck is in certain matchups. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely something to consider, but mostly secondary mm-hmm. to the games you've already played and your understanding of the format in your deck. Because the information that you can use that's given to you via open deck lists is going to be secondary to the cumulative effect of all the other stuff yes definitely so i yeah yeah, you can be fine not thinking about this at all but i think that you know if you are choosing between two options and are not sure then this might be a decent tiebreaker one other thing is knowing your opponent's sideboard cards if you know you're on a deck like phoenix knowing that whether or not your opponent has graveyard hate and if you should juke your threats if you should trim on your graveyard active cards is really helpful same thing for any deck that has kind of linear plans that can be hated out you now get to know if your opponent is bringing in their hate against you and that's that's really i think that's a big advantage you're not going to accidentally bring in your young pyromancers in a matchup that they're not very good in just because i need a way to deal damage when they have a rest in peace in play yeah interestingly i think this is where mono green just wins mm-hmm. uh, like the specific information of the sideboard because mono green doesn't sideboard right. and everyone knows exactly what's in their sideboard at all times and they access it in their main deck so it's not even like a surprise right. when they pull it out in game one but they could see exactly what your plans are uh which is kind of where they win from other, where they otherwise just wouldn't having a, a very static sideboard sure yeah that makes sense one one place where i think it is a little more important the fact that it's open deckless is in making your individual card choices. I'm not particularly interested in going out and finding like surprise juke threats or things that like my opponent is not going to expect at all because now they are going to expect it because they get to yeah, see a it. random Urza in your sideboard from the new set. is just not going to cut it. No. So <laughs> I, I'm just like less curious. It does make me a little less curious about the brothers war cards because it's just like the advantage I get from putting one in is less than you know, just playing a card that I know is good, I'm not going to get any value from surprising somebody. Well, also one, they just might not know the card does. Sure. <laughs> Two, I think it just prevents you from making bad choices having not played or tested enough of the card. Yeah. Like, it's very easy to tell that Haywire might, something like Haywire might is going to be good, or Cityscape Gloss Leveler, is that the name of the card? Cityscape Leveler, yeah. Yeah. It's really easy to tell that those cards are going to be good in Monogreen because they are analogs to cards that already exist and you would play anyway. Mm-hmm. Really obvious in Cityscape Leveler's case. It's just better than <laughs> <Yes>. Meteor Dome. <laughs> yeah. uh, but something like a random threat from a new set that you haven't really played with is a completely different animal. You just like, don't have enough time to know if that card is going to be good or do what you want it to do. Right. Yep. And it does make me want to kind of like mix and match kind of kits of cards especially juke threats that you're bringing in you just don't want your opponent to know exactly like oh all of your juke threats that you're bringing in are cheap creatures so i should just keep all of like max out on my fatal pushes and these stop you know if you can have kind of a a patchwork a little bit of things then that may help because your opponent does know the cards in your sideboard and bringing in a bunch of cards that are weak to one thing, they'll know that they can attack you that way. So might be a tiebreaker for how you choose your cards. I will talk about kind of the Phoenix sideboard specifically and the choices I'm making for it. It was actually really bizarre because I opened up Ross's list from the top eight of this Star City tournament it was the exact same 75 that I was about to register for regionals. <laughs> the only difference is I was waffling on two of the threat slots, the traditional 
like juke threats if you're really just trying to win and not trying to do anything goofy or attack specific things if you're taking things seriously it's two young pyromancers and two crackling drakes and i was going back and forth and i really have not been happy with young pyromancer because it just doesn't really do the job against doesn't do anything Rakdos anyways and it's like a fine yeah. defensive card uh and it's very it, it's good in matchup is against other blue decks generally but not so great in the mirror because it dies to everything and so I, i've just like not been the happiest with young pyromancer but i didn't know if i could bite the bullet and just do thing in the ice instead in my sideboard and i think that ross having success with it and also ross being very smart and good at these types of decks and good at building these sideboards has given me the courage that i need to just go ahead and register more thing in the ice as juke threats in my sideboard good against the aggro decks good against green where your plan is play a two drop monster and then counter a couple of spells and kill them before they can do anything real we're just gonna copy ross's 75 for this <laughs> tournament i think i'm glad i have not liked young pyromancer mm -mm. in the phoenix sideboard for quite a while and i was just gonna let you do your testing right and figure out if it's good or not but i it's always seemed like every time I see it on play, it just like does not do enough. So the the thing is, it is a juke threat that is good against the aggro decks and passable against Rakdos. But it was barely passable against Rakdos. And now with Rakdos being a lesser consideration in the metagame, I think you can just kind of get away with having your juke threat, juke threat be good against the aggro decks and uh good against mono green where like having not being able to bring in extra twos against mono green where the most important thing in the world is casting a two and then casting spells it felt like there just wasn't a fully cohesive plan i'm much happier to be being able to have like seven blue two drops that i can have in my deck after board cool the phoenix sideboard generally uh like the reason that my 75 otherwise was identical to ross's is because those slots when you're really like figuring out how to beat the things that you play against it's the packages and the sizes of these packages are kind of set you want six counter spells in your sideboard and they all have to work against mono green is like very important and that way you go up to eight total counter spells post board if you have a really green heavy metagame then you might have one more counter spell in your sideboard but that's pretty tough to fill in fortunately kiara is a blue card so you can bring in mystical dispute and it is anywhere on the range of fine to disgusting against green you have those six counter spell slots you have your like five removal slots i think this setup of like three point removals and two sweepers is pretty standard and for me has made a lot of sense just looking at board plans this seems to be the right number so that you can set your configuration the way that you want uh, against the creature based decks and then you have four spots left for juke threats that do not use the graveyard and are good against the field that you expect i think anything less than two crackling drakes in your sideboard and you're just like not understanding what people are weak against post board and what you need to fix post board like alternate threats come in and out people try goofy stuff like vance's blasting cannons or i don't even know a search for as canta or something like that and it's just <laughs> like the four mana four five kefnet which oh god eternal kefnet okay yeah it, which to me i get so confused by because Kefnet, you have to untap with in order for it to do anything, right? And it's a four mana and draw spell. Yeah, and you you have to hit a spell, but at least you have to untap with it for the four five to like start attacking. Crackling Drake draws you a card immediately, and then if you untap with it, you win the game. So I just don't understand like what the Kefnet plan is for. I I just am too stupid to figure out the intent behind it. I think. Well, I think the intent is that Kefnet's a sweet card and. Crackling Traits only an uncommon, so how could it be better? Well, see, what you do is you cast your Crackling Drake. Yeah. And then if they kill it, you've two for one them. And if they okay. don't, then it has 14 power on your turn. So. Hmm, but does that work through Rest in Peace? It does, it does work through Rest in Peace. It's oh, a that's key crazy. part of Crackling Drake. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think if you're showing up with Phoenix and you're trying and you're serious about the tournament, like Crackling Drake has always been correct, basically. <laughs> You get that two more slots where you can have young pyromancers. I just like it just hasn't 
impressed me. And I think Thing in the Ice is better against Gruel and Mono White generally and is way better. You can't bring in Young Pyromancer against Green. You can bring Thing in the Ice in against Green, and it's very good. So I think ultimately, like, this sideboard just makes the most sense to me. And writing down my plans, these numbers all end up working. And, uh, yeah, I'm, like, pretty locked in on my 75 for this weekend now. Are you going to have to scrounge around for Brotherhood's End uh, to replace Sweltering Suns? I don't even know that it's... I mean, you do cycle Sweltering Suns very rarely. I probably will have to scrounge around for Brotherhood's Ends, yes. I mean, it also has a secondary mode, right? Like the, the artifact thing. If you play against a random Brotherhood or Brothers War through... Yeah that's artifact based you can just punk them out with the card that's relatively the same as the card you were going to play <laughs> yeah honestly sweltering suns was making the deck over anger of the gods mostly because just there were enough situations where you had a phoenix in play and you didn't want to exile it and the exile was not relevant against almost anything else in the format I th- uh, yeah i think brotherhood's end is just a better card than sweltering suns and you should play it if you can grab them yes oh another bonus of playing thing in the ice over young pyromancer is that Thing in the Ice is much better in the mirrors. Like, Young Pyromancer just tends to die, and Thing in the Ice can just become gigantic and unkillable. Mm-hmm. And you can, I guess, play with the fancy versions, right? Are those out yet? Uh, I don't think so. Are they yet? I truly do not know. Oh, they're the next, the next season, season three, yeah. right? Okay. So not yet. You picked the wrong RC to play Phoenix. <laughs> I'll I'll make you say that again the after I top on. eight this one. Oh, we went from winning earlier today to top eighting. Well, because I'll just not doing I'll well. I'll just text you when I hit top eight, not and then you know then I'll take down the whole thing. Oh, okay, cool. I hope that there is coverage that I could watch. That would be ideal for me. I believe there is coverage. I believe Anurag has been hired by Wizards to do coverage. I don't know the specifics of it. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know if they're providing the commentators or what, uh, but I believe there will be coverage of this regionals. Perfect. So yeah, text me when you hit top eight and I'll watch you win. (laughs) Will do. Anything else you wanted to touch on? RC trip thoughts? Pioneer thoughts? Don't put third path iconoclast in your Phoenix sideboard. It's just a young pyromancer that gets hit by mystical dispute and rending volley. So it's just a straight up downgrade, even if you like have a planeswalker or an enchantment in your sideboard. Uh, I would not recommend it if you have determined that you want a pyromancer effect still. As far as the tournament goes, I'm very excited. I am interested in seeing how this whole thing plays out, and I hope it is smooth, and I hope it's fun, and I hope the like fact that it's in the middle of a giant video game convention doesn't like take away from the experience i hope that it adds to it and makes it more interesting and fun but we will see me too i hope that there is no horror stories associated with this event yeah like a lot of other magic events hosted at other like non-magic venues have had uh, i hope this is a, a nice pleasant experience yes because they're going to be hosting more rcs so well and if things go wrong hopefully they learn from those and improve at future events I mean, this isn't their first Magic tournament, and I haven't heard anything horrible yet. That's true. So. That's that's really true. That's a good point. But this is going to be a big one with a lot on the line. So, yeah, this is definitely the most important one they've held thus far. Yeah, qualifies you all the way to Philadelphia. No longer Charlotte. I believe I need to. I got an email at some point telling me I need to register on Melee for this tournament. Wow, Melee just has this stranglehold over tournament registration. I know. Huh? <laughs> How did this happen? Well, you see. <laughs> Watsi has completely <laughs> abandoned any sort of functional tournament software. So okay, okay, <laughs> that's that's still one of the weirdest things to me in this post. What was the old tournament software called? I don't remember anymore. Uh, Wizards Event Reporter. Yeah, the post were era is just melee being required for everything. <laughs> just a, a random non Wizards third party site. I even had to sign up for the Flesh and Blood calling through melee <laughs> which did nothing except for cost me like six extra bucks <laughs> that's frustrating yeah I, I i guess that's just how 
that's what I'm signing up for, I guess, when Star City Games holds any tournament now. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what game it is. Cool. <laughs> Hopefully I will continue only needing it for events that I have qualified for and don't have to pay for. Yeah, that would be ideal. I don't know. Those are my thoughts. Sorry that most of my pioneer thoughts are very, like, Phoenix-oriented, but that's just where I'm at right now. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I hope... Other than just this specific episode, you know, the other episodes we've done all the way through the beginning of September, since we've started doing all the Pioneer stuff, mm-hmm. we've been talking about all the decks all the time. Yeah. So even if this one was a little Phoenixy, you know, there was definitely a period of time where no Phoenix decks showed up at all, yes. ever. Yes. And we didn't think it was playable. So you could, you could balance. But I'm on the train now. And uh, it is too late for me to get off. So, <laughs> I was not sure if you're going to make a choo-choo sound or a caw sound. Yeah, I mean, we're making phoenixes. Your, we're not making trains. As your petition for wizards to bring back the uh, Arclight Phoenix caw sound on Arena have been going well? Oh, I don't care about Arena. I've been testing Pioneer on Moto, and the fact that my phoenixes don't make a caw sound on Moto has been oh, off-putting. Oh, on Moto. But... Daybreak Games has directed me to the MTGO forums to make feature requests, (laughs) which I haven't done yet. I guess I'm just not committed enough to this particular bit. Yeah, if it was more of like a shuffle truther kind of situation, you'd be on those forums in a minute. Yes, that's true. But I don't care about anything as much as they care about the Magic Online Shuffler. So, Yeah, it's... Yeah, I I agree. (laughs) I don't have that much conviction in my heart for anything. Nope. I think that's it for me. If you are at regionals this weekend, like definitely come up and say hi. Would love to meet any listener. I have various tokens that I supply to give away. Uh, so, you know, come up, say hi, get a token or just chat. And I would appreciate any feedback that y'all have. Uh, I mean, you know, if I'm like, doing well and you come up to tell me that you hate the podcast i'm gonna be like pretty mad about my mental state getting ruined but uh i'll deal with it you know also if you're doing poorly you know if you have something mean to say just just keep it to yourself (laughs) maybe (laughs) i mean i don't want like anything artificial i don't want any like artificial praise but if you hate if you really don't like the podcast and you just hate listening to it um yeah you could keep that to yourself that would be fine yeah, like, yeah. whose life are you trying to make better by sharing <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for listening. Good luck this weekend, and have a great week. Good luck, everyone. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>